Thank you. May be seated. You can go and clap. That's all right. Praise the Lord. God is good, and all the time. So you may be visiting with us today, and we're caught off guard by me saying that. So I'll I'll give you a chance to do it with us. We every Sunday. I will uh, say God is good. They will reply all the time. And then I will say all the time and you'll respond, God is good. Are you, are you good with that? Are you ready this time? God is good? And all the time? Wow, you guys are awesome. Do you believe that statement? We're just saying way maker. Do you believe that God is a way maker? Do you believe that even when life stinks, I'll say that, that God is still good? Do you believe that when you don't understand or see or figure out what are you doing? You ever had a moment where you're like, God, what are you doing? Where are you? You you guys, are you tracking with me? And in those doubts, we see that God still is a way maker. He's good. And if you're a guest with us today, I'll just say, you know, my name's John, and I am blessed. I'm blessed to serve as the pastor here. And we're going to start a new series in the book of Esther. So if you want to find your way to Esther, you can find that. Some of you will have a printed Bible. Some may be on your phone or a tablet or an iPad. Um, but before we get into that uh, sermon and just kind of what we're going to do today is we're going to look at the book of Esther. And if you think of the book of Esther, really that song highlights the theme of Esther, that God is a way maker. But before we get into kind of the sermon this morning, maybe you're a guest and a neighbor invited you or a coworker or a friend, or maybe you got a card on your door, or maybe you just saw a Facebook ad, but something, I should say more accurately, someone, God brought you here. I believe that you are here in this moment, in this place for a specific reason, that God has orchestrated the events for you to be here, for you to hear this. And, and maybe even today you're thinking, I, maybe I should get into church, or you know, I've been looking for a church, or I've always thought about going to church, or whatever might be. You may have just moved into the air. I just wanna explain a little bit about Hallmark, just so maybe you're interested in church membership or figuring out what is this place about. And I thought the best way I could do that this morning is to really just share with you our four core values, who we are as a church. These are the four principles, or we would say the four hallmarks of Hallmark. The first is that we are biblically driven, that when you come here, the goal is for us to point you to God's word, because God's word changes lives. It's not my words that are going to change you. It's the power of God and his scripture that changes. And so we often say that that when we think about being biblically driven, we don't, we don't adjust the Bible, God's word, to our life. We adjust our life to fit the word of God. Because God's word is unchanging and is the authority by which we should live. We're personally involved. Again, friend day, right? Someone hopefully invited you or maybe you got a card or Facebook. We, we want to be involved. We want to have community. We want to do life together because the truth is life sometimes, well, I can think of a lot of words. I'll just say challenging. Radically generous. This church has proven to be radically generous. I'll just give you one aspect of radical generosity about this church. 
Since the late 1960s, before I was born, I'm going to clarify that, okay? Just in case you're wondering. Not much before, but before, all right? In the late 1960s, this church started getting involved in giving to missions, like worldwide missions, sending missionaries all over the world. That one line item, since the late 1960s, this church has given over $23 million to send missionaries all over the world. Yeah, we can celebrate that. I, like I said, I don't get any credit for that. I wasn't, I wasn't here when they started, started doing that. And so we're radically generous. We want to be generous with our money, but our time and our resources and just friendships, right? We want to, we want to do life together. The fourth one, outwardly focused. Again, we, we want to we lead all people to find and follow Jesus. We think Jesus is pretty good. Can you agree with that? And we think everyone should have an opportunity to hear that Jesus loves them, that Jesus died for them. And as these little kids even explain to you, the ABCs, that you could admit that you're a sinner, believe that Jesus died for you, and confess that Jesus is Lord. We want everyone to know that, and that's, that's our goal, leading people to find and follow Jesus. And in light of that, when we think about community, we think about all these pillars or hallmarks of Hallmark, is one of the things that we put a focus on here at Hallmark is community. We want you to be involved and do life together. I don't believe, although the, although the decision to follow Jesus is a personal decision, I don't believe it should be a private decision, that we want to do this in community. And so on a typical Sunday morning, we'll have connect groups that meet at 8.30 before the 9.30 service. Um, those are the people that like to get up early, by the way. And then after the 9.30 service at 10.45, we have a bunch of connect groups from kids ministry, age graded, to our student ministry, to young adult ministry, then to not so young adult ministry. And there's a group for everyone because we want you to live in community. Throughout the week, we have gender-specific discipleship groups, three or four people that meet together, memorize the Bible together, do life together, share, confess, and live in transparency uh, together. In fact, we've started a new ministry this year that meets quarterly called Grief Support. And if you're interested, maybe you've lost someone recently. Uh, there is a table in the back when you, when you leave or you head out to go eat this afternoon. There is a table for, for help. And we have a wonderful member of our church who's a former missionary, longtime hospice chaplain, and uh, he leads that ministry. And, and if, you're in, if you're suffering, don't suffer in isolation, okay? You've come to a place where you can find help, okay? And, and we wanna help you. The other ministry that we have is called Regeneration, and it's called Regen for short, and there's a lot of different ways you could, you could describe it, but what we understand, so let me just give you a secret about Hallmark. We have all figured out that we don't have it all figured out. Can you agree to that? So we've all figured out, we don't have it all figured out. We all have a lot of potentially hurts or habits. Turn your fingernails or something like that. Maybe worse. We have hangups. Hurts, habits, and hangups. And if you can identify with maybe a hurt or habit or a hangup that keeps you stuck from getting closer to Jesus, then Regen is a ministry for you. Okay, and it meets on Wednesday nights at 6.30. There's also a table you can sign up or get more information when you leave. Or you could just show up right here at 6.30 on Wednesday 
It's open for you to join, and you'll find a place of community and transparency. We, we are striving to be a church that's transparent. I grew up in church my whole life, and typically in church world, you didn't find a lot of transparency, okay? You showed up to church, and you smiled, and I had a suit and tie on, couldn't breathe. You know, I went to this college for four years and had to wear a tie every single day. Sorry, I messed my mic up. But we, we just want to be transparent. We, we want you to know we figured out something. That is what we don't have it all figured out. God is good. All and all the time. We're going to get into Esther. Thank you, Brandon, for sharing that. As I said, it's being authentic is not easy, but it's healing and it's healthy. And so I would encourage you, if you are here today and you are struggling in isolation, uh, find a group. There's a table out there. Come talk to me. I'll direct you. We, we, want, we want you to, to live in community. Find Jesus and find community. And we can be healthy together, right? Uh, in fact, tonight, if, if you're maybe you've been struggling, we have a, a seminar available tonight at 6 o'clock right in here. We have um, some PhDs from Southwestern Biblical Counselors who are going to be talking about the subject of depression. Again, growing up in church my whole life, this is not something we talked about much in church. Um, and we think that if we're going to be healthy, we have to be honest. We have to be transparent. And so if you are someone or a friend, maybe you have a friend at work that's dealing with depression, maybe tonight you need to come and just learn how to help them and how to listen and how to talk. And so tonight at 6, we'll just be here for an hour. Uh, but I invite you to, to join us tonight uh, for that. Also, we have made this book available for you in the back. Uh, and so we're going to challenge you, all right? So uh, whether you've been here a long time, whether this is your first time here, we're starting this series, Pathway to Purpose. And we are not convinced that you can find your purpose in life apart from God and his word. And so one of the best books on wisdom is Proverbs. And so uh, honestly, about 31 of my friends and myself wrote this book. I wrote one little chapter in this book, one little devotionless book, and we wanna make it available for you. It's free in the back, or if you would prefer a digital copy, you can go to the YouVersion Bible app, and on the YouVersion Bible app, it's a reading plan, this reading plan called Searching for Wisdom. So everything that's in this book is also on the YouVersion Bible app. So if you wanna find it on the digital version, or the printed version, right as you exit, there's, there's a book back there for you. We, we just want you to know that, that we love you, we're here for you, and we wanna, we wanna help you in your faith journey wherever you might be in that. Now, Esther is an interesting book. Uh, inter interesting because it's only one of two books in the entire Bible that don't mention the name of God. Okay, let me give you a few, um, maybe the context and setting uh, about the book of Esther. So Esther was written about 100 years, or, or the time period in which we're describing the book of Esther is about 100 years after the Babylonians captured the nation of Israel. So you might think of Daniel in the lion's den, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you know, a few years after that happened. And in the book of Esther, 
It's, it's also, if you're familiar with your Bible, it's kind of the time of Ezra and Nehemiah. So the Israelites have been taken captive by the Babylonians. Some of them that you can read about in Ezra and Nehemiah had went back to the homeland. Many of them stayed under the persecution of the Persians. And in this story, we'll see like four main characters. So what I want to do for you today is kind of give you the flyover view of the book of Esther and invite you to come back next Sunday and the next few Sundays as we kind of unpack the rest of, of the book. So here's the four main characters. Two of them will be Jewish. One is Esther, who the book is named after, and then her uncle, Mordecai. All right? These are the two Jews that kind of come to the service of the story. We're going to learn about the king of Persia, uh, and then we're also going to learn about a man named Haman. All right? Haman is like the second in command, and that's what we're going to learn as we walk through this. So as we think about the fact that this book that finds itself in the Bible doesn't mention the name of God. It's an unnamed author. Did the author intend or what was his intention in giving us a book of the Bible that doesn't even mention the name of God? Here's what I believe to be. The unknown author seems to be inviting us, the reader, in spite of seeing the name of God nowhere, to experience God's presence, God's providence, and God's plan. Sounds a little bit familiar to the song we just sang. Even when I don't see it, he's what? He's working. Even when I don't see it, he's working. He is a way maker. And the entire book of Esther reveals that to us. In all the circumstances, the coincidences that happen in the book of Esther point us to the fact that even when we don't see God working, God is working. So let's read the first 12 verses of this. And there's a lot of interesting names. We'll see how that goes, okay? Verse number one. Now it came to pass in the days of Ahasuerus. Yeah, it didn't go very well. This was the Ahasuerus who reigned over 127 provinces. All right, so a lot of people, uh, again, knowing that this title that I can't pronounce is a title given to the king, and the king is Xerxes. All right, verse number two. In those days when the king, and I'm going to say Xerxes because it's much easier, sat on the throne of his kingdom, which was in Shushan, the citadel, that in the third year of his reign he made a feast for all his officials and servants, the powers of Persia and Media, the nobles, the princes, the provinces being before him, when he showed the riches of his glorious kingdom and the splendor of his excellent majesty for many days, 180 days. I mean, like a six-month party. Verse 5, and when these days were completed, the king made a feast lasting seven days. This is like the after party for all the people who were present. Look at verse number 10. On the seventh day, when the heart of the king was merry with wine. In other words, he was drunk. He commanded, and there's a list of seven men's names, eunuchs. And he says, bring me the queen, in verse number 11. To bring the queen Vashti before the king, wearing her royal crown, in order to show her beauty to the people and the officials. For she was beautiful to behold. 
But Queen Vashti refused to come at the king's command brought by his eunuchs. Therefore, the king was, what's the word? He was angry, he was furious, and his anger burned within him. So he has been publicly shamed by his wife, the queen, because she would not come perform in front of all the drunk men. Okay, that's, that's basically what has taken place here. And so then in the next few verses, he gets all the nobles and the princes together and says, what are we going to do with the queen? Because she has shamed me in front of all these people. And they are not so much worried about the king, but they're worried about themselves. They said, if the word gets out that Queen Vashti has dishonored the king, then all of our wives will stop listening to us. That's all I'm going to say about that. <laughs> I've been married 30 years. I keep my mouth quiet, right? So they get together and they basically decide, you have to banish her. No longer the queen. And also, king, make a decree that our wives have to listen to us. Verse 20, when the king's decree which he will make is proclaimed throughout all the empire, for it is great. All wives will honor their husbands, both great and small. I'm going to skip over that too. I'm just giving you the story. What happens is not application. We're not going to draw any application from that for us today. That's the story. The king banishes his queen, makes a decree that all women have to obey their husbands. And as the story goes, we're introduced into this orphan girl named Esther. This orphan girl who's raised by her uncle Mordecai. Several years go by and the king wants a queen. So he gets this brilliant idea, well, let's have a beauty contest. He has a beauty contest and Mordecai convinces his niece Esther, the orphan girl, maybe you should enter into this beauty contest. And guess what? She wins. She becomes the queen, this orphan Jewish girl, the queen of Persia. Again, as we think about the song, even when we don't see it, he's working. This poor Jewish orphan girl living in exile becomes the queen of Persia. And for what reason? Haman enters the picture. He's the villain of the story, and he hates the Jews. He convinces the king to set a date that all of the Jews would be assassinated. And so he does. And that poor orphan Jewish girl that just happened to become the winner of the beauty contest becomes queen. And she convinces the king to make a new decree. We'll learn more about that as we go, but you, you get the picture of the story. She becomes the savior. She rescues the Jewish people from annihilation. And again, we would say, even when we don't see it, God is, that's the whole book of Esther. The whole book reminds us that. And so, as again, I'm inviting you to come back as we go through this journey over the next few weeks. But I want to leave you with three thoughts about 
the book of Esther today. We're going to continue in the next few weeks unpacking this. But, but the first one is this, what is the big question of Esther? What is the big question that the entire book of Esther leads us to? And here's the question. It has to do with God's presence. When we think about the presence of God, when we think about is God with me, we have a tendency to feel like when life is good and when there's money in the bank and my kids are paying attention and they got straight A's and all the things that we're hoping for, that, well, then I've, I've got the presence of God in my life. But the reality is that sometimes the greatest feeling of God's presence is in the darkest moments. Have you ever experienced that? To be completely honest with you today, in my life, I, I, I praise the Lord that I've been spared from much suffering in my life. And I, I praise God for that. I'm thankful for that. But also in the last 30 years of being in a pastor in a church, I have watched many people not be spared from suffering. And I've watched many people experience the grace and the mercy of God. You see, in the book of Esther, although God's name is not mentioned, God's working is always evident. Now, this week, I had this bright idea to go on a hike. Anybody like hiking? Okay. Raise your hand. You like, you like to hike? How many of you like to hike like dangerous hikes? Okay. So this past week, um, we were in a, I was in a pastor's meeting in California, and we had decided, uh, me and about five other guys, that it would be a, we, we'd always wanted to hike Half Dome. Does anybody know what Half Dome is? Okay, in California. Um, it's one of the most dangerous hikes in America, just to be honest with you. And, but you have to apply for it two days prior to hiking, and you have a 20% chance of getting the permit. So we had like eight guys, we're trying to get a permit. We're assuming there's no way we're gonna get this permit to hike Half Dome. So on Tuesday this past week, get up early, get online, apply for the permit. About 8 o'clock that night, we get an email that says, you've been awarded a permit. So we got eight permits to hike Half Dome. So my thinking is, God is wanting me to go on this hike. Right? That's logical, right? That's spiritual. You don't think so, Carlos? I mean... 20% chance, we've got eight guys. I don't, I'm not a math guy. It seems like that would be less than 20%. And we all get a permit. So God's got to be in it. It's a beautiful eight-mile hike straight up. It's like 5,000 feet of climb straight up. It's fun. Beautiful, passed by waterfalls. It's amazing. And then we get to Half Dome. And if you're not familiar with Half Dome... Half Dome is a sheer 45-degree granite rock. And you go straight up it, and they have, like, these steel cables that you can help pull yourself up the mountain, okay? How many of you want to go, go do that? See who's still in with me, all right, a few of us, okay? Wait, wait, wait before you commit. 
get up on top of the mountain. It's beautiful. You can see all over Yosemite Valley. You can see, if anybody watched the movie Free Solo, and, and you can see uh, I just El Capitan on the side there. You see all the valley. It is, I mean, it's breathtaking. You get up and you think, wow, God is big. God gave me this permit to see all of this. He gave me legs that actually made it all the way up. I have a hard time getting down these stairs in a minute, but, but that was great. And then all of a sudden, the clouds come in. And our excitement changed a little bit. And we decided we got to get off this rock. So that's what we do. We start going down the rock. I'm not going to tell you all the stories because there's kids in here. But I will show you. Everyone is alive. I will say that. But that was in doubt. So we're on the side of the mountain. Something happens. I won't say what happened. And we're now stuck holding onto the cables for over an hour in the freezing rain and sleet. And I had a conversation with God. I said, you got me this permit. I'm, I'm not making this up. Let, let me sh I'm going to show you a 30-second video. Uh, I'm one of the top on, the, on this video that you can see, my brother and a few other guys, a few pastors, all right? I think it's upside down. Turn like this and you can see it. So it's sleeting. You can see uh, those, that's not really a ladder. It's just cables to hold on to. That's me with a yellow backpack. And that's thunder and lightning. So we're on a rock, wet, holding a steel cable, and it starts lightning. Yeah. So I do praise the Lord for the lightning because the people at, that were below us were not letting anybody pass. That's why we were stuck there because they had freaked out just a little bit. I mean, they had good reason to. But we were stuck for an hour, hour and a half hanging on the side of the mountain. And then the lightning comes and you can feel the electricity come through the steel rods. And at that point, we decided it's more dangerous to stay than to go. Okay, and we get down. We found out last night that two of the guys on top of the mountain got struck by lightning, got knocked out. They came back down eventually, and no one died, so praise the Lord for that. All right, but back to my thoughts, because it's about me. No. <laughs> I literally was like, God, you're... You can do anything you want at this moment right now. You can cause the sun to come out and dry this mountain. And I was 100% convinced that's what he was going to do. And then it started sleeting. <laughs> I clung on to that steel cable. The truth is I still can't feel my pinkies. That's how, whole, how, how hard I was clinging on to my life. But you know what I did experience? even though he was not working like I wanted him to work. 
guess who never left me? And I felt the presence of God. I wasn't singing worship songs, just to be honest with you. But I felt the presence of God. And what the book of Esther reminds us is that even when life is not going as planned, even when we don't see God, even when we don't understand what he's doing, even when we don't, like life is just not how it should be, God will make a way. God has a plan. God will provide. And so the big question, God's presence, the big idea, what's the big idea of the book of Esther? God's providence. And in case you don't know, I'll just give you a brief definition of the providence of God. It's the doctrine of divine providence, and it asserts this, that God is in complete control of all things, that God is sovereign. And so every Sunday we come in here, and I'm not going to ask you to do it now, but we say, God is good all the time, and all the time God is good. And it's not just a statement we made. To be honest, the first time I ever heard anyone say that publicly was in 2009 in a very poor village in Kenya, Africa. And it completely changed my mentality of what does it mean to say God is good? Because what those people experience every day in their life, in my estimation and in the way I lived every single day, it would be hard for me to say God is good. There's a reason that I say it every single Sunday because it's a reminder to me that it's true. But it's not just the fact that God is good. We believe that God is in control, that he's sovereign. So one of the key verses in Esther is Esther chapter 4, verse number 14. This is at the moment in time, this is like the, the turning point of the entire book where Mordecai, the uncle of Esther, is saying, you've got to go tell the king that you're a Jew. You've got to save the nation of Israel. You've got to save God's people. And listen to what he says, if you remain completely silent at this time, Relief and deliverance, will arise, and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place. What Mordecai is saying, look, what it sounds like he probably should have said was, Esther, if you don't go to the king right now, all is lost. Is that what he says? Look at it. Let me read it again. If you remain completely silent at this time, it sounds like what should follow is God's people are going to be destroyed. You're the queen. You're, you're in that situation for this reason. You have to go to the king. Doesn't it sound like, I mean, just based on the storyline, that's what the next line should be? But no, it's not what he says. If you remain completely silent at this time, here's, here's where it points to the divine providence of God, the sovereignty of God, and the control of God. Relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place. In other words, Mordecai is saying, God don't need you, Esther. God's bigger than your circumstances. God's bigger than your problems. God is gonna deliver his nation. God has promised that he will deliver his nation. He does not need you, but Who knows, verse 15 says, whether you have been 
in this time and in this place for such a time as this. Maybe Esther, the reason the poor Jewish orphan girl became the queen is so that you could be in the position to be the one to help God rescue the nation of Israel. Isn't that a cool story? God didn't need her, but God did place her there. But she still had a choice. She's going to go to the king or she's not going to the king. And Mordecai was so convinced that God was in control and that God was good. Whether Esther went or not, God would still deliver his people. I have a friend that, that wrote a book called Set Free. It's dealing with uh, trauma. Maybe you've had trauma in your life. And he wrote a book called Set Free. And here's three questions that he asked that I'm going to ask you. Okay, the first question is this, and, and you can answer out loud if you want. Is God good, yes or no? Okay. Is God in control, yes or no? All right, so we've asked, is God good? Yes. Is God in control? Yes. Here's the most important question once you've answered those two. And you don't have to answer this out loud. I want you to set in this. Are you willing to trust God until he proves he's good and in control? Because sometimes it doesn't feel like it, does it? Is God good? Yes. Is God in control? Yes. Are you willing to trust him until he proves he's good and in control? That's what the book of Esther leads us to. That's the big question. The third one, what's the big deal? What's the big deal of the book of Esther? Why, why do we need to know this story about this young Jewish girl who becomes a queen and goes into the king and, and, and saves the nation of Israel? What's the big deal? The big deal is it reveals God's plan. You see, back in Genesis chapter number three, when Adam and Eve sinned, vanished from the garden, the Lord told the serpent, the Lord told Satan, that he would put enmity between him and mankind. And that one day, from the seed of Adam, Satan would be destroyed. God would win. And from that moment on, Satan did everything he could to destroy the people of God. God needed to rescue the Jewish nation so that one day, King David could be born so that one day King Jesus could be born. And now Esther's story directly connects to my story. Because Esther was willing to be used of God and believe that God was good and God was in control and that she would trust him until he proved that he was good in control, God used her to save the nation of Israel and years later Jesus would be born. The fulfillment of God's promise to rescue his people. I said this morning that I think God intended for you to be here. I think it was his presence that drew you here. I think it was his providence that got you here. And here's the plan he has for you. He wants you to know God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, 
but have everlasting life. I think it was Austin's testimony when he read, God loved me even in my sin. What does the scripture say? God demonstrated his love toward us. Now, while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. And what I want you to know this morning, if a friend invited you, a neighbor invited you, you got a door hanger, you got a Facebook invite, what God wants you to know today is this. If you have never placed your faith in Jesus Christ, today you could do that. The Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Could we all confess today together that we have sinned, we've done something wrong before God? You want to raise your hand to that, all right? We said we're going to live in transparency, all right? How many of you got really good at sinning? Okay. How many got really, no, I'm not going to say that. My parents are in here, so I, I, uh, they, they can testify. I hardly ever sinned as a kid. I was such a, such a good, good person. So we are all in agreement. We're all together, right? And then Romans tells us that the wages or the punishment for our sin is death. That's separation from a holy, righteous God. It's that we won't get to enter into his presence when we leave this earth. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. Ephesians tell us, for by grace you are saved. It is through faith. It's not of works. It's a gift of God, lest we would become prideful. Well, I want you to know today is this. If you've never placed your faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, you can do it today. You heard from some elementary kids this morning. The ABCs, admit, admit I'm a sinner. We just did that publicly together, right? The B is to believe, for God so loved the world that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Romans 10 leads us to the the C. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in your heart that God is raised from the dead, I want you to look on the screen. I'm going to read it again. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be, what's the word? Saved. Saved. Could I ask you to close your eyes for a moment this morning? Admit, believe, confess. If you've never done that today, can I encourage you to do it right now? You see, all you have to do is declare that to the Lord. God, I admit that I'm a sinner. God, I believe Jesus died and came back to life to pay the penalty of my sin debt. And I confess that Jesus is Lord. So right now in this moment, as our eyes are closed and no one's looking around, would you right now in this moment be willing to do that? If you were listening to Chisholm's baptism video. This is exactly the time in the service he did that. We led him through the A, B, and C's. And so right now in this moment, 
You tell God right now, God, I admit that I'm a sinner. Right there, right here, right in this moment. The next step is I simply want you to say, I believe, and you just talk to God, I believe Jesus died for me. See, I confess Jesus is Lord. As our eyes are closed, would anyone say, John, I just did the three steps. I admitted, I believed, I confessed. Would you just put your hand up for a moment? Just put your hand up, right? There's one, there's two, three, four, five, six. Just put it up. Seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13. Sorry, it's, it's dark, it's hard for me to see. Just keep it up. 14. You can put your hand down. The truth is, it's not that important that I see it. But can I encourage you to tell someone today? You may scan the QR code and, and just fill that out that says, I've received Jesus today. Let us know. I'll be in the back in the foyer when we're dismissed. Come tell me. It's what Chisholm told you about in the video. He just came and found me after church. But I want you to know that if you made those three statements to the Lord, God gave you new life. Could we celebrate that together today? Would you stand with me this morning? We're gonna close this service. I'm gonna pray and then we're gonna sing. It's just an opportunity for you to respond at our church. People come forward and pray. We're not gonna interrupt you, but if you wanna kneel and pray, you're welcome to do that. When we start singing, if it's more comfortable for you to just sit at your seat and pray, that's okay. We're gonna end with a song and then a few instructions about how to get your food. But I just wanna say thank you for being here today. It was an honor to have you visit our church. Can I pray for you? God, we thank you for grace. We thank you for mercy. We thank you for the many that gave their life to you today. God, I pray you would give them the courage and the strength to tell someone. God, we are, we are overwhelmed at your goodness to us, and we thank you. We just want to end this service singing praises to you in worship. Lord, some are hurting and, and need to just come and pray. Be reminded today that, God, you are good, you're in control, but we need to trust. We thank you.